Hello, everyone. Amelia Taylor Hochberg, Arcanex Editorial Manager here. The interview you're about to hear was recorded as part of Arcanex's first ever live podcasting event series, Next Up, held during the opening weekend of the inaugural Chicago Architecture Biennial. As we ease into season two of our podcast, we'll be releasing over four hours of interviews and discussions from Next Up. Stay tuned to hear more about an exciting change to our shows this season and enjoy this interview from Next Up. I'm uh, sitting here with Paul Preissner and Paul Anderson. I sometimes collab- collaborate under the, uh, the title Paul or Paul. And if uh, any of you forget, my name is also Paul, so this is either going to be very confusing or very simple. So you each run your own practices, Paul Preissner Architects here in Chicago yep. and Independent Architecture in Denver. Uh, maybe you could talk a little bit about what each of your practices uh, focuses on. I don't know. We do buildings, like smaller, smaller projects, small interiors, cheap budget apartments, medium-sized houses, like mo- mostly um, budget architecture, I think, things that aren't so fancy. Mm-hmm. But it's like, it's all building practice and then also furnitures. So we do tables, or we did two tables. It's mostly local? We do like speculative competition work that isn't. Mm-hmm. Like we've done, done competitions and we've worked together on non-local competitions, but um, all of the built work is local. Okay. City limits, local even. And in Denver, what does uh, independent architecture focus on? Uh, a lot of the same kind of stuff as what Paul does, which, uh, but mostly, the, uh, most of our projects are residential projects, like uh-huh. houses, most small residential projects. And uh, in our office, we do um, a lot of the same kind of work as, as you know, what Paul does. Uh, we do a lot of uh, smaller residential projects, some arts-related projects, we do some stuff for the MCA Denver and... Uh, we're working on an arts center for the poor farm up in Wisconsin. And, uh, and then we have a handful of things that are more open public projects, like um, working on a playground in West Denver. It's a fairly big playground project, actually, and some plaza design kinds of things. So. so what was the force that brought you guys together to collaborate under Paul or Paul? I'll take this one. All right. So I didn't know Paul until Bob hired him to teach at UIC, and then I knew him. And then Paul called me up one summer and wanted me to do a barn. And then they told Paul that the Paul had to be a Colorado Paul. So he asked, can I work on the barn with you? And I said, yes. And so that, then we did two barns together. And it was good. Yeah. Wasn't I bad. mean, it went well. It was, it was like, I don't know, it's easy for us to work together. And um, it seems like the projects turn out well when we work together. Do you look at your work as complementary to each other, or are you just uh, kind of grooving on the same wavelength architecturally? Yeah, I think we're not on the same wavelength, but it seems a little, like, it, it seems pretty easy to combine what our interests are or to not have what we don't like offend the other person. Like, I mean, the, the projects change a lot as we work on them, but neither, or at least me, I don't know, maybe you get secretly upset, but I don't say, seem to get upset. Just say we, because it's easier. <laughs> It doesn't no. seem like we get irritated when we tell each other that things are bad. So, I mean, I think it's helpful that we have our own practices and studios and identities, and this is kind of like messing around occasionally, so it kind of feels recreational. So the stakes seem lower, and it's more like fun in that way. Yeah, I agree. I mean, it also, I mean, it also helps that... Uh... I think we're both, one thing that we do share, even though I, I agree that our, our practice in our independent practices, um, we're, we're, you know, we have different interests and different agendas, but I think when we, um, 
one thing we have in common is I think we both kind of just like keep our eyes open when we're working on things and just sort of paying attention to what might be there that we could just take advantage of as opposed to, you know, trying to force things a little too much. And I think that applies to the, to the way that we work together too, because I don't think, um, you know, it's, it's, I don't think it's like typical to sometimes, you know, have a kind of like collaboration or partnership, but not really formalize that, but then, you know, do your own thing too. I think it's in, but it's not something we sought out or anything from the beginning. It just works well that way. So. Yeah. I mean, that, that, I think that's why it's still called Paul or Paul, because mm-hmm. it's not really a thing. Our website is just a link to right. Paul's or Paul's other website. Yeah. yeah. Why not Paul and Paul? That seems like kind of precious, doesn't it? Like if we made small leather goods or something. <laughs> and is overused these days. Yeah. Yeah. Or we had a, a boutique bar yeah. or a barber shop or something. So, and the URL wasn't available. But uh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. But no one, the real no one wants Paul or Paul. You Seems can only take one indecisive. Paul at a time. Yeah. yeah. So um, is it beneficial to collaborate um, across different cities in the country? I mean, is there a, is there a benefit that would um, not apply if your practices were located close by? I mean, it probably would benefit. Yeah, it does. I mean, I've been to Denver two more times than I would have otherwise. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, just in pra- practical benefits. Yeah. I got two trips out of it. Uh, if we were both in Chicago, I would just get two train trips out of it. Yeah. Also, I guess you know, it does, does allow us to have like one one office that can kind of project manage, you know, and, and I mean, we like you know, we work together in like a very like even plane all the time. But um, you know, some if, if, you know, in addition to for sure, and I think in like the way that we design things, it's completely even all the time. But then you know, maybe if it's in one place or another, one of us can kind of like do more of the heavy lifting as far as like managing the project goes. There seem to be the kind of like boring organizational benefits. Like yeah, one of exactly. us is always geographically closer to where the small projects are. So it's easier <laughs> to find people to build them. Design wise, I don't know if those yeah, distinctions matter anymore. Like it doesn't seem to have, there's no real regional. To me, it doesn't seem so regional anymore. Your work isn't very regional. I don't think it is. I mean, maybe it is. I would never know, but mm-hmm. um, doesn't seem to be to me either. Yeah. yeah. So I'd like to talk about your lakefront kiosk, yep. which you were finalists in for the uh, part of the Chicago Biennial project. How did that start? Uh, so the, the whole premise of the, kios- the lakefront kiosks is the kind of legacy project of the biennial. So there's four of them. So one was the open competition kiosk, and then three of them were commissioned. And they were commissioned through the three schools of architecture, SAIC, IIT, and UIC. We both teach at UIC, and I think because we did two barns well together, Bob asked us to do the UIC one. Also, it was easy to then give it to two faculty instead of one faculty. So that's how that came about, like in just how did we even get it, I guess. Yeah. And then it was done, like we worked with students on the kind of design of it and made something a bit too profane and tall that we then had to make shorter, so then we made it, just made it shorter and shifted it, made it blue. Can you talk about the design yeah. and the process behind the, the construction of the kiosk? Um, yeah, so it's, uh, so it's, so first of all, it's right across the street, mm-hmm. um, and right by the Bean, Millennium Park. It's, um, it's a barrel vault, 
and it's uh, just made out of steel, half-inch plate steel, which um, you know made sense for Chicago. We a lot of steel here and a lot of fabricators, so it uh, made it something that was not too complicated to have to have made. So it's just it's rolled, and the, the, the plates were cut out in advance, and then they were you know the, the ones across the top that are curved were rolled. The whole thing was welded together. There's a plate that connects them across the bottom. And then uh, two screens were added to enclose half the space. It's, if, you, if you could look at it from above and plan, it's got a parallelogram-shaped plan, which is two equilateral triangles put together. And one of those triangles is enclosed by the screens, and one of them's not. So the enclosed one is where the, you know, the, the restaurant that's going to serve food out of it, that's where they'll work out of yeah, when I it's mean, moved I, in the spring. I think spring. conceptually, we just wanted it to look fake. So it doesn't, it, you know, it, it's made out of half-inch carbon steel, but it's really quite big. So it's actually a little floppy, but it looks like paper. And the, the shifted, the kind of skewed plan makes it just look like a pop-up book when you walk towards it. So it feels a little eerie and maybe kind of stupid because you can't quite imagine the other side because it just seems like folded up. It even doesn't seem to be have any depth to it until you get, until you start to rotate around it. So the, the steel was kind of like done for... I don't know, just interested in steel, but also because then it just looked like a piece of construction paper. Yes. Which seems kind of silly for something 17 feet tall to be that light, or not light, but just like that yeah, insignificant. Yeah. yeah. So was, was that purely a formal decision, or was or are you referencing something in that in that form and lightness? And I think we liked, we liked arches, mm -hmm. like as as something that seems fitting a kiosk as a place to like hang out in so forth. but that was kind of it like there isn't any at least for me like any particular historic reference okay other than all of architecture mm -hmm. you know yeah i mean i think it was it was also there's a like a simplicity to it i think it was really important because it does give like both that flat reading when you when you see it from afar but then when you you know when you come closer to it you know it's positioned on on the deck you know near the bean so it's not really on axis with anything, like not with the pavers or any of the major walkways or anything, because as you get closer, you know, we want to encourage people to walk around it a bit because it does change quite a lot as you go around it. And there are you know, many different views of it that are each not quite symmetrical. Like there's, there's no ideal point which to view it where everything lines up and it's like, you know, perfectly perfect object. So it has a, you know, maybe a like, series of more complex readings that you can get as, you know, if, yeah. you, if you are interested enough to spend some time with it. If not, it has, you know... It also just sits on the earth. Mm -hmm. yeah. like there's, it's not in the ground in any way. Like it's just a loop. Yeah. If you were strong enough, you could push it somewhere. But, mm -hmm. I mean, you could push it. I can? Yeah. No, thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Well, before we wrap up, I, I can't wait to see it. I haven't had an opportunity yet, but I'm going to go there right after this talk. Um, before we wrap up, I'd just like to get your thoughts on, on this biennial and what it means for Chicago, uh, being a Chicagoan and someone that's spent, I guess, a fair amount of time in Chicago. I mean, I think it's a really big deal. I, I, you know, I think there's, there's a, like Chicago's had a few different architectural histories and that have taken different forms. I think the most recent is more in the form of discourse, you know, more in the form of like this kind of stuff, exhibitions, uh, panels, like schools, studios, you know, maybe, maybe not buildings as much as it once was, but that discourse is pretty powerful and is, uh, you know, very, very meaningful to the field. So it seems like a kind of a, like it's a, it's a natural fit in that way to have like a major biennial here. It seems like it makes sense and, and is, you know, a, you know, sort of just tied into that, that history. 
Yeah, I I like it. I think I think it it's got a lot of big things in it, which is really nice. Like there's big big homes in the galleries, like the Moss Architects House, the Swiss guys robot, Cremazzo Kohler's like robot thing, like really big things instead of just representational things. Mm-hmm. I think that makes it kind of pretty special as an exhibition, right? And so maybe like. I don't know. I mean, I think it's as important to Chicago as anything is. Like, who knows whether these things become vapors for the city or what. But that people can, like, see something and, like, touch it or knock their head on it instead of yeah. just have to figure out, like, what it means, which I think yeah. is good. Yeah. Well, thank you very much for talking with me. Thanks, Paul. Yeah, thank you, Paul. And uh, the kiosk looks amazing. Thank you very much. Thank you.